Welcome to The Queerness, an LGBTQ podcast produced by San Francisco Pride from our studios overlooking the most beautiful city in the galaxy. I'm your host, Peter Astrid Kane, SF Pride's communications person, and I use they, them pronouns. In this month's episode, we have the pleasure of speaking with Carissa Hatchell, perhaps better known to Bay Area drag fans as Snacks. Snacks is a drag performer who calls herself an assistant homo to Oasis's now sole owner, Darcy Drollinger, a well-known performer in her own right. Oasis, as many people in San Francisco surely know, is the six-year-old two-room drag club in Soma that's got the only proscenium arch for drag performers and other thespians to greet a crowd from underneath. The home of Princess, the successor to former Oasis co-owner Hecklina's long-running drag party mother, Oasis is also the place to see Drollinger's own productions, such as the incomparably schlocky and delightful romp Shit and Champagne, plus camp mashups like the ongoing Hand That Rocks the Crawford, and the forthcoming Shamilton, a parody of Lin-Manuel Miranda's smash musical. Since Oasis opened, drag has evolved to become far more than a vehicle for cis gay men to lip-sync to pop hits and throw around the C-word in a disparaging term for trans women. It's opened up to other identities and also become something of an avenue for social change, particularly in the form of reparations. That's reparations with a capital R, an all-black drag show at Oasis hosted by Nikki Jizz at which Snacks performs. But rather than enumerate every listing on Oasis's site, let's bring her on to tell us more. Hi, that was such a lovely introduction. I'm just beaming. I loved that. <laughs> well, that's what I want to do. I want to make you smile before I rip you to shreds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself and the many hats you wear at Oasis. Uh, some proverbial, others more literal. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm Snacks. I have um, been working... I started my involvement in this scene um, by working for Darcy Drollinger. Um, actually, even before that, I got involved as the dresser on the Golden Girls Live, the Christmas episodes that happens every year oh. at the Victoria. Yeah, I have a background in theater, and so they needed a dresser, and I was available, and I just completely fell in love with everyone, even Heclina, if you can believe it. Um, and it was just such a wonderful experience. And then, um, when I lost my job, um, I messaged Darcy and asked him if he had any work. And he said, I actually need another set of hands. And I have been Darcy's set of extra set of hands for about three, four years now. I have worked the door at Oasis. I have, um, I'm now in charge of most of the booking, um, social media, Darcy's right-hand man for anything going on. Um, I do a little bit of everything here. I Sometimes I think of myself kind of like a dog, like I've just pissed all over all of my my property and now I'm in charge of everything. <laughs> that, that's how you market to know that it's yours. Exactly, exactly. Um, but I mean that, of course, like, you know, yes, we. I do a lot, but every single staff person that works for Oasis also wears multiple hats and also busts their ass to make this place happen. We all just, you know, sometimes to a fault, care so deeply about this place and about our jobs that, uh, you know, it it um, comes out in weird ways sometimes. But truly, I mean, I hate, you know, it's so overused to say that we're a family, but we really, really are. I mean, if this last, you know, 16 months has taught us anything, it's about how much we really do care about each other in this space and want to do everything in our powers to um, keep it around and keep each other around and make this a great place for everybody. I mean, I agree with you completely. The word family can be super disgusting, like the Coca-Cola family of products or whatever, but come on, Oasis earned that term, right? The telethon in March raised a quarter million dollars. I mean, yeah. 
I'm sure a lot of that money went to paying rent and keeping the staff employed, but was there enough to add, you know, like the occasional Swarovski crystal toilet handle? <laughs> yeah, we, um, you know, most of that money, yeah, unfortunately went to just bills that had stacked up over quarantine. You know, we were inoperable for over a year and the bills didn't stop during that time. And even the government help that we were supposed to be getting or we're getting was so slow to come that it was, you know, holding out, holding our breath for that was just like not realistic anymore. And when we did that telethon, Darcy was like, do you think we can raise $100,000? And I said, no way. I said, people are burnt out of donating. People are burnt out of having to help everybody. So much of our community is other performers and other performers are also hurting. And it felt weird and wrong to ask them for their support. And so I really went into the telethon with my tail between my legs, not expecting us to do nearly um, as much make as much money as we did and be as successful as we did. And it really, you know, it showed me, it showed all of our team. And I think it showed the whole city just that people really do care and people really do want to fight to keep these places that they love alive, especially after losing our neighbors at the stud. It was just like, no more. We cannot lose another institution in the city. It really, I think it, it changed my whole way of thinking about this space and what it means to everybody. That's beautifully put. You you kind of touched on something that I feel like it doesn't get enough importance, which is that artistic communities, LGBTQ communities are very good at helping each other. But sometimes what that winds up meaning in a very practical sense is that like put upon starving artists are expected to support one another without a lot of external support. And it's like, these people are tapped out. Like the people who are being asked to dig deep actually need people to help them too. Completely. Yeah. Well, and it's, I mean, we had this joke, especially at the beginning of quarantine that we were just passing around the same $20 bill because we were all doing these digital shows. It was other performers watching to support each other and tipping each other the money that they made from their show the night before, you know? And, uh, it's funny because it's like, yeah, we were able to raise $250,000, which is incredible. And we had literally over a thousand people support that campaign. But, you know, if Jeff Bezos wanted to give us $250,000, it would have been no sweat off his back and we wouldn't have had to do all that work. And it's a bummer that there aren't more big money people that are supporting these queer spaces and these night and nightlife and all of that. But, um, you know, we are grateful for the community as a whole to come out and support us. That is absolutely true. However, it is also true that Oasis's calendar is absolutely filled to capacity right now. I mean, this is a far cry from last summer when the rooftop bar reopened. And I remember seeing you perform Lizzo up there. What What is new? What is new and exciting? Yeah, well, it's so funny. It's like, be careful what you wish for. You know, we all sat on our hands. Well, maybe didn't sit on our hands. We always had stuff going on, but... We wanted this to come back so bad and now it's back and it's happening and we got to staff it and get people in here and do all the work. After we opened Pride Weekend, that weekend killed all of us. We were all so brain dead and hungover and all of the things. And we were like, oh, we have to do this every week. It's kind of like retraining your your body to even deal with nightlife. But as far as like the new and exciting things, I mean, a huge thing for me and and absolutely for Darcy and for all of us is really taking to heart everything that happened last summer during while we were closed with all of the uprisings and the social justice movements and Black Lives Matter. We saw people be really introspective about what is important, how to create safe spaces, how to make our spaces as inclusive as possible. And I know that Darcy and I on our own have had a million conversations about this. 
as well as with all of our staff. And it's, you know, it's always been something that was all of our intentions, but I think even more now than ever, it's important that we are speaking those things into fruition and that we are doing the, the work to make all of those things happen. And so I would say one of the biggest, maybe not, you know, changes, but just like kind of shifts in the way that we're looking at things is evaluating, are these events, you know, safe? Are they inclusive? Are they uplifting communities that, that need support? You know, all of those things are really going into every thought behind the bar, every thought with our security, every thought when we're booking stuff, you know, all of those things. You kind of touched on um, what my next question was going to be, which was Pride Weekend. I mean, you you said it took a few days to recover and you're all hungover. So it had to be moderately successful. Pride Weekend was amazing. <laughs> was it, it was it was really just like, you know, all of the emotions of, of being closed for all that time to have so many people that love us and support us be back in our space and be enjoying our space and be drinking and laughing. And, you know, even for me personally, like to see Darcy up on stage, you know, with a glass of champagne, entertaining people, like that's what she does best. And I'm, I was so thrilled to be able to see her back in her element and see all of us back in our element. You know what I mean? All right. That was fun, but we got to do this every week now. So we really got to, you know, keep it going. How would you categorize your drag personally? Is faux queen an accurate term or do you find that limiting or do you go with something else? I prefer drag queen. Um, I don't, I don't, I'm not like super uh, offended by anything anyone calls me. You know, I have been called way worse out of drag. And so I'm not really worried about what you call me in drag. I know a lot of people don't prefer faux queen just because it feels you know, non-inclusive. Um, for yeah. me, it's more just like what I do is drag. It's just kind of a very easy, generic way to describe what we're doing is drag performer. And, you know, if you come to a night at Princess or you come to a night at Oasis, you're going to see stuff that you're like, I don't know, is that drag? Like, is someone riding me like a cow while they're wearing a cowboy hat? Is that drag? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think that's just kind of an easy way to, to mask all of that. I mean, my drag... I, it's so funny because a lot of people, I think, use drag as a way to express themselves in ways that they can't do out, outside of their their person's self, right? For me, Snacks is me. Like, we're the same. We wear the same clothes. We share the same makeup. Like, I, there's not a lot of um, d differentiation. I would say the biggest thing is just that, like, you know, I love to tell jokes and I love to sing and I love to dance. And drag is a really, has become a really effective way for me to do the things that I love, um, in a setting because it's harder to get cast in a musical or, you know, do a dance recital in it with a company, but I can do all of those things on my own on a Saturday night by doing drag, you know? So it's a fusion of all your talents. Yeah. Or all, at least all the things I'm interested in. I appreciate you calling them talents. <laughs> this morning, uh, I ate a sesame bagel and an avocado and then immediately concluded that that was insufficient. And then I burned through some dry roasted peanuts and wasabi peas while polishing off a one pound container of cherries. This is before lunch, which was tonkatsu ramen. What are you snacking on? I love tonkatsu ramen. That is so good. Well, okay, so we're our new staff meeting is on Wednesdays. And our new thing is like, we're going to have lunch during our meetings. And they ordered salads today. So I'm like really not looking forward to these future staff meetings with salads. Hopefully this is a one-time thing. I did get tater tots. They were delicious. I didn't want to interrupt you, but no, hard no. Yeah, I mean, it Not looks fine. I haven't eaten my salad yet. I did get one. I mostly focused on the tater tots, but um, 
I'll eat the salad later. It's a good thing you and I are not actual colleagues or we would be fighting for Oh my God, spouse. totally. <laughs> so um, on this note, what can we expect for the next Talking Snacks with Snacks? I love Talking Snacks so much and my biggest frustration with it is just that I'm so busy that I don't have time to produce them in the frequency that I would like. And truly, the reason that I want to do it more frequently is because there are so many people I want to talk to. This came out of quarantine and out of not seeing people. And, you know, one of the biggest bummers about quarantine was not just not having an audience, but not seeing your friends backstage. Like being backstage with the other performers, like smoking a cigarette or drinking or, you know, gossiping, whatever we're doing is such a important part of all of that to me. And I missed everyone so much. And I also realized even the people that I felt like I knew very well, I didn't know where they grew up. I don't know how they got to San Francisco. I don't know what they wanted to be when they were little or what they majored in in college. If they went to college, I don't know how many siblings they have. And so that was another reason why I wanted to do Talking Snacks with Snacks was I was like, Let's amplify these people, you know, besides just kind of the the big, you know, few legendary performers in San Francisco who also, you know, deserve to be interviewed. And I'm glad that there's interviews out there with them. But like, I don't know who's going to interview me if I don't interview myself. <laughs> and so um, so that's kind of where that was born. And yeah, I I, um, I did recently do a live talk and snacks with snacks with an audience um, and interviewed two people. I was supposed to interview Sister Roma that night, but she was sick. And so Honey Mahogany came in, which was great. And I interviewed Lee Crow, who's, you know, a legendary drag king in, in the Bay Area. And uh, it was so fun. And those episodes are sitting on flash drives in my house that I still have not uploaded. So eventually I will get those on Oasis TV and then on the podcast as well. Uh, I'm going to ask you one serious question. And that's because I think it's on everybody's mind. You know, now that the Delta surge is clearly affecting even this city with our very high vaccination rate, you know, are you feeling like the burst of post-lockdown optimism that we all experienced after June 15th may actually be like a temporary blip? Oh God, it's like such a hard question because I so don't want to think about it at all, but we have to, and you're, and you're totally right. And I don't know. I mean, I think if I've learned anything during the shutdown and even in the weeks and months leading up to it, information changes every single day. Yeah. Like I remember it back in March, every day we were coming up with a new like okay, let's distance the tables a little bit. Okay, let's make sure hand sanitizer's out. Let's put signs up about washing our hands. Okay, people want to wear masks, they can, up until we shut down. And then again, it's like, you know, we were open for a little bit doing outdoor dining and then we shut down again. It just, it feels like we keep reinventing the wheel. And so I'm trying to just kind of ride the wave and be like, what's the information we have today? How can we best um, enforce that information while keeping our space open, but safe and healthy to people? And so, you know, right now our staff is going back to wearing masks. All of us are getting tested regularly. We are, you know, at, along with a lot of other bars and restaurants in the city, we're requiring vax cards. I would say 98% of our feedback has been overwhelmingly positive about the way we're handling stuff. There's always going to be that percentage of people that are anti-vaxxers, anti-maskers that are saying that they're magnetically charged now because of the vaccine or whatever. One thing I have to ask you, since... Your drag name ends with a double X, and so does Vax. 
have you ever done any kind of personal campaign on social media or otherwise? Like, Snack says get vaxxed. No, like, but I love that and I need to. <laughs> a vaxxed with snacks. I mean, a, sna- a snacksination campaign seems like it would be <laughs> right itself. Oh my God, that's hilarious. And I love that and I'm stealing that. Please do. Uh, one last question for you. You know, let's end on a really positive note. What are you looking forward to? Are you are you going to the Drag Queen Roller Disco at Oakland Commons in August? Yes, of course. I've of been course. a bunch of times. I will not perform. I um, was on skates for Darcy's, I think it was his 51st birthday. We had a Studio 51 party. I was like, I'll get on skates and skate around just for atmosphere, you know? And I busted my lip and I still have a scar from skating. So I'm not allowed to skate. My best friend and my husband are like, no, no more skates for you. (laughs) Um, But I am dreaming up an office chair number that I can do at Roland with the homos. So hopefully that will happen someday. But I just go every month just to support. I mean, especially when we were still in lockdown, it felt so good to be at a drag show, but that was outside and masked and everyone was super chill and respectful and you could bring your own beer and just chill out on the grass and watch a bunch of people skate. It's such a fun party. And I'm so always so blown away with everything that Mama Celeste does and everything that Nikki just does and all of those people. Absolutely. I am sorry that you sustained an injury in the line of drag, but hopefully that hopefully that rolling office chair doesn't do you wrong. Yeah, I'll wear a helmet. <laughs> Outstanding. Snacks, thank you so much for your time. This has been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. This was great. <laughs> this has been The Queerness, a production of San Francisco Pride, conceived and co-produced by my hardworking colleagues, Chris, RJB, and Shannon. Our wonderful guest in this episode was Snacks, a drag performer and, as you no doubt heard, an absolute dynamo. Our theme music was composed by La Frida. We strongly encourage you to like and subscribe to us, which helps increase The Queerness's visibility on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other platforms, because you know we're all about queer visibility around here. I'm your sickening host, Peter Astrid Kane, reminding you to be safe, but stay dangerous. We'll see you next time.